welcome to The Lux Files, a podcast for occultists about occultists. I'm your host, Sean, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to subscribe to The Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all the new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 25 of The Lux Files. I'm here with my good friend, Ben Simpson. He is a fellow Druid. He's a uh, counseling therapist. And we've actually already been talking for uh, an hour. What we're doing is we're doing a bit of like a like a cross promotion with our podcasts. So the first hour, um, I was in the hot seat. Uh, so I got mm-hmm. to do all the talking. And um, that's on his podcast. And now um, I'm turning the tables on Ben for um, this episode of The Lux Files. Uh, Now, for all of you that follow me on social media, you'll, because we, like, this is, we're, we're recording this, like, seven days before this episode actually dropped so by now for you following me on social media you'll have seen the link to uh this episode uh on of uh ben's podcast (laughs) and for for those of you that don't follow me on social media there's a link in the show notes so you don't have to necessarily uh turn this episode off right now and and (laughs) it's not like you're you know we're uh, you're going to be starting in the middle of a, a story or anything, but definitely check out um, Ben's episode and then uh, uh, this one or vice versa. It doesn't matter. Just uh, make sure you listen to both. So please, please yeah, listen to both, please. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Ben, thank you. Thank, thank you for being here. It's so great. This is uh, great. Yeah, it was so great catching up with you. And um, uh, that first hour uh, on your podcast was a lot of fun because um, it just, you know, I I do more, um, being a host of a podcast, I do more of, you know, the interviewing um, than I get interviewed. So it was just, uh, it was just so nice, like I was saying, just yeah. to sit back, relax, just talk and not have to worry about anything, not being the driver's seat uh, for a change. So that was uh, really, mm. yeah, it was, that was a good episode. Um, everyone really, really needs to um, really check it out. To hear your story. That's the thing. They need to hear your story, Sean. Well, yeah. and you know, through conversations that I have with, with people on the podcast, you know, my listeners get bits and pieces of my story, but not, you know, I, I try not to talk about myself too too much on my podcast just because you know people are here to you know listen to the guests and and learn about my guests so yeah they they don't get a lot and especially with what we talked about um most of what you and I talked about on on your episode for your podcast Mm um I I, I just wouldn't bring up uh, on my podcast, you know? So, yeah. yeah so, uh, you know, for, for my listeners that listen to my podcast, I think, uh, yeah, definitely check it out because uh, mm-hmm. you'll learn a little bit more, a uh, little, little bit more about me. Yeah. I, I totally feel that. So when, um, when I put my podcast together, um, I was kind of, 
I was in a weird place. I, I just moved to Kitchener. So I live in Kitchener now. Mm-hmm. And um, a year ago, I was actually a year ago, as of like two weeks ago, I moved here. And um, I was trying to, you know, it was the middle of a pandemic. And I was trying to think, well, what, how am I going to put myself out there? Because unfortunately, what happened was I was just getting my counseling practice started in Dundas in Hamilton. Right. And then the pandemic hit and all my clients disappeared. They yeah. just went, went away. Who knew, like, if it would have money, you know, everything's closing down, everything was gone. So I uh, I was in a new city. Nobody really knew me up here. I, and my supervisor's here. But um, so I started a podcast to kind of use as a marketing strategy. And I didn't realize how much I would get out of it. And I'm sure you you get a lot out of this podcast. Oh, yeah. You seem to really, really enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But absolutely. it's a balancing act, right? You know? Yeah. 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 My desire to have a podcast predated the pandemic by a few months. Right. Um, But, you know, just with me being so busy with my business, you know, it's one of those situations where, oh, I'll wait till I have the time. I'll wait till I have the time. And that's such a ridiculous thing to say, because that just never happens. You you don't just magically develop more time. And for me to have more time, would mean to have some level of failure in my business as opposed to growth mm-hmm. in my business. So, you know, it was that was just a good excuse for me to not get it going. And I finally did in uh, May of, of the, well, it was May 1st, it was Beltane, mm-hmm. um, May of this year. And it's nice because even though the idea predated the pandemic I think the pandemic shaped how the podcast um what the podcast became um I I I think there was you know for myself personally a need for connection and and conversation I mean I love learning about people and so that was always going to be a part of the podcast but I I think of just being able to sit and have conversations. And um, I think that I just had so much more of a need for it uh, because at that point, well, that was May of this year. So at that point we were uh, 14 months in to the pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, yeah, yeah. So here we are and um, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I'm glad people yeah. listen to it. People seem to enjoy it. I got a, uh, my first uh, review on Apple uh, Podcasts was really, really fantastic. And I was just looking at some of my um, statistics today because f- f- since I launched the podcast, um, the, the listenership was always number one, the United States, number two, Canada, number three, uh, UK, number four, India then India um, surpassed the UK. And just today, I noticed that India is now number two. So I have more listeners in India than I do yeah. in India. Um, so it just- Well, it's, this it's, is the thing. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. So think about the, the, the people that you're having on, 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 your, on your podcast, right? They're very well-known. Most of them are well-known um, occultists, right? And India, it's very strange. Now that I'm actually aware and I've, I've you know, had a chance to really connect with authors and writers and, and, and people like, you know, movers and shakers, um, um, India and Russia are the two major markets for occultism right now. 
there's like a big push for Wicca in in India, which is is weird for Westerners to think. Oh yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the, the middle class in India has money, they're in a culture that is very tradition bound, right? So when new like that whole new, it's kind of like Hong Kong, right? New innovation yeah. um, is is coming in in uh, in thinking styles and whatnot, especially uh, in areas that would complement uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever the current religion is, you know, wh- whatever their their tradition of traditional background is. Yeah, and um, and so it's it's very interesting to see that. Yeah, and uh, you know, Wicca, even for non-occultists, Wicca isn't exotic. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's it, it's exo- it would be exotic to Indians totally. because you know because it's it's European basically, and that's what I, I found interesting about um, getting uh, a distributor for my products for China and Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that there was going to be a big market for western magic in china mm-hmm. because they have their traditions mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. and um so it was just surprising you know to get that yeah. email one day from a from a uh a distributor saying oh we want to distribute mm-hmm. products in china hong kong oh i'm not i'm not surprised at all i'm not surprised at all no because think um, Japanese anime, their way of exoticizing um, magical systems in Japanese anime is to import um, occultism and alchemy. Yeah, that, and, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. so you, you've got a whole group of like Chinese, Japanese, and Korean kids growing up watching like Full Metal Alchemist, mm-hmm. uh, which Doctor Robin, all of these different things, right? And yeah. so like sigil work and things like that totally makes sense to me. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah it's really That's fantastic. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, like I said, uh, we're turning the tables, and now we're we're talking. Hot seat. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about uh, Ben. Yeah, you're in the hot seat. Um, so, what I do uh, with my podcast is I like to start at the beginning, right at the beginning, um, and uh, with that first experience uh, or or set of circumstances that led you on your magical spiritual path, you know, whatever whatever that that yeah. happened to be. Um, so let's start there, and we'll see where the okay. conversation goes. Okay, um, I have to reach back into the depths of time here. Um... <laughs> Well, and this is the thing, I say that, I say that jokingly, but I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I've actually been involved with paganism and magic um, for almost 19 years now. Yeah. Um, it's been very disconnected because I went through waves of not being really connected with everybody. It was a very solitary thing. But um, but I actually, I, I first became aware of Wicca, um, and, uh, and it, I mean, it was like that online, you know, non-traditional, you know, Silver Raven Wolf type uh, Wicca right. um, when I was about 15. And that was in like 2001. So quite a few years ago now, 20, well, 20, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I, 
so back then, you know, for your younger listeners, back then we didn't have many places. If you weren't in a, a, an urban center um, like Toronto, like LA, like New York, um, it was very much online, right? So I, uh, I I heard about this thing called witchcraft goddess worship after watching um, the uh, Mists of Avalon, which um, was one oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, that it was in movie grade did not do the book justice. No, it uh, did just not. as just no, as an FYI. No, However, no, it, it was no. nice. I mean, no. you know, it gave us, mm-hmm. you know, it gave us a little bit of paganism. A little um, bit, yeah. Well, Angelica Houston. I mean, who doesn't love Angelica Houston? She went from being a witch to being Morticia Adams, to being, you know, the Lady of the yeah. Lake, right? She has I, cornered the market. <laughs> yeah, I love Angelica. She's, I met her when I lived in Toronto, and this was back in my makeup artist days. Um, she was in town filming a movie with uh, Stephen Dorff, and um, well, I'm trying to think of the actor's name. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So um, they would have um, um, cast parties all the time and and they'd like uh, rent out a bar. And, Mm. you know, so it would just be like a a, a private event. And um, I'm trying to think Stephen Dorff's assistant and his personal trainer that I would do uh, their makeup. And they invited me to one of the uh, cast parties and it was so fun. And at one point I'm sitting at a table and Angelica is sitting to my left. And um, at some point I'm like, you know, I, I, I realize you don't want anyone gushing over you tonight, you know, cause this isn't, this isn't like some sort of like, public event or fan event like you know this is all like the the in people but I mean I've loved you since I was a kid you're such an amazing actress you're so beautiful you're just amazing and she kept kissing me on the cheek oh you're so cute you're so great thank you so much you're so wonderful and she kept kissing me on the cheek and I'm like so this is awesome I mean I I I worked with a lot of celebrities um Mm -hmm. as a makeup artist um but that was one of the more fun experiences Mm -hmm. um just because I mean it's Angelica Houston she loves her gay boys let's be honest here and and plus it was it was you know this was um like a like a social event it wasn't like purely a you know, like, uh, like a photo shoot or anything like yeah. that. So it, you know, there was just that much more casualness to it, but yeah, no, she was, she was fantastic. She was fantastic. Yeah. And Steven Dorf is so hot. Oh my God. <laughs> he, um, what was the name of the movie he played? Um, Oh, my memory. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, uh, what, what queen did he play? Um, I can't remember. Anyways, so he, uh, we were talking, and he brought up that movie, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, and 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 my, well, shoot, yeah, you need to find, you need to find it, um, the name of the the queen." He goes, and that dance. So, m- meanwhile, I'm sitting down. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm you know sitting down, mm-hmm. regular chair height, and mm-hmm. he's standing in front of me. Then he starts grinding in my face <laughs> and i'm like oh my god like this is heaven, heaven. Yeah, yeah. he's so hot yeah. oh my gosh he's so oh, yeah. 
yeah mm. so that um yeah that was a fun night <laughs> i can uh, imagine angelic yeah. houston on one side and steven dorf on the other <laughs> right my god i'm getting like kisses and dick and ass and yeah it was it was uh it was fun it was fun yeah so anyways <laughs> i was gonna say probably a lot more fun than what i was doing at that on that evening somewhere wherever i was you know <laughs> right um yeah so okay so like you discovered witchcraft at the age of 15 but did you have anything in your childhood that you look oh, totally. back on and yeah like oh yeah like the oh, writing was on the wall yeah. Oh, completely. Well, so the, one of the, the main reasons why I started looking into it in the first place was I was, um, so I moved to Canada when I was eight years old from North Wales. And North Wales, for anybody who hasn't been there, it's it's like the Highlands of Scotland in miniature, right? You've mm -hmm. got these beautiful valleys, really like gorgeous landscapes, right? And a very, it's a very old land, right? There are ruins, literally ruins on the outskirts of where my, my parents' cottage was that were over 2000 years old, right? Right. So it's a very old, not to say North America isn't an old land, all land is old, but, yeah. but you feel that resonance. And, um, and so I was originally looking for something connecting me with my heritage because I moved to middle of, you know, bumfuck nowhere, Hanover, Ontario, middle of nowhere, 18 churches, none of them wanted me, you know. Um, <laughs> around that time, I was also um, coming out. So there was that piece too. Yeah. So when I was a kid, um, like we, the oldest part of my parents' cottage was about 400 years old, right? Like... I remember there were some very spooky things that happened. Mm -hmm. There would be things that would run past windows and we just took it for granted. Um, when I was a child, and I don't talk about this often, but I feel comfortable, um, I was visited by what people would call the hag. So I didn't have oh, okay. hag encounters when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, and of course, you know, terrorized um, by that. But um, I, yeah, I did, I, I did have experiences and even now, like they continue even now, you know, mm. kind of a magical, wonderful life of Ben, but, um, but yeah, that like being steeped in that and then suddenly coming to Canada and having nothing, right? Yeah. Although I say that, I mean, I have had experiences too, but, um, so those, I mean, it, realistically it is different. Yeah. It is, it is, it, it, um, it is, it is a difference. Um, I feel like the, the experiences I've had over here are a lot more controlled, whereas over there, because the land is just seeped with with history and seeped with history that's accessible, you know that the history is there. In yeah. North America, because the population of Native Americans was so much smaller than and widely dispersed, the history is not as entrenched. Yeah. Um, unless you of that blood, like yeah. I, you know, friends of mine who are native, they know. And like, then plus, they, so much of the history was actively erased. Yes, yes, but there's that kind of energetic quality too, right? Like friends yeah. of mine who, um, in London down this way, they'll they, they've told me that when they go past a certain place in Ontario here, they know something has happened there. They don't know what it was, but they know that something happened there. I meanwhile, I'm just like, do 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 do, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah, but um. But yeah, I, I had experience as a child, as a child, and um, and so I wanted something to connect me with that. Now back then, I had no idea of like magic, and I had no idea about energy and 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 those experiences. Um, I I only gained that information and gained that understanding later on. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, uh, and I mean, reading like, you know, the silly web, silly web pages um, when I was a teenager, if it didn't really give me anything, it wasn't a, a deep understanding yeah. um, until I really started to connect with people. So I, I got onto Witchfox, which oh, yeah. Um, for yeah. those of us who are older, we know what that is, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I started connecting with people on there, talking to people. And uh, I uh, fell in with a couple of guys who were a few years older than me, gay guys. So first of all, I was coming out, which was a big part of my identity then. Yeah. Still, I mean, it still is. But like um, that really connected with the, with the magic too. And so I was very interested in these people and uh, ended up, you know, my first big crush was with one of these guys. And I remember my first psychic fair was actually um, like selling a load of my stuff and then taking a, a bus down to uh, the airport um, to a little hotel down there for my first psychic fair with these people. So um, I started to have experiences with them, but it was really very shallow. I didn't own it. I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, it was very, you know, yeah. So um but I uh, kind of took a detour in the spirituality away and I started um, looking into Hinduism and, and Buddhism. And, uh, and finally I came back, um, really came back to magic about seven years ago. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, that's the other big part of the story really. Mm -hmm. so, you, so you took a, a journey through Hinduism and Buddhism and then you're, you say back to magic. You mean like back to like back to like neo pagan, back to occultism, back to um, back to the Western mysteries as opposed to kind of those Eastern mysteries. And was it was it just like like a natural transition, or did or were you like I I no I need something different because like from the Hinduism or, or Buddhism, or was it like it like just like a natural? I think it it spoke it speaks more to where I was in my life. So I um I went to university, I went to college, that took a huge amount of my time up. And then um I I had I, I, I was forced to stop university and uh, and put it on hold. And I moved home. Um, there was some mental health stuff going on. And I moved home and um and I was basically stuck in the middle of nowhere feeling deserted feeling like i couldn't go anywhere because i mean living in toronto for six years i didn't learn how to drive i didn't yeah. need a car right so i was in the middle of nowhere and i couldn't drive so i had the process of kind of rebuilding myself and 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 really coming back to myself after that point um and one of the one of the ways that i did that was through studying and really stepping back into spirituality um i found that i was becoming a lot more interested in um in paths that i could reflect myself in right so hinduism Buddhism, well hinduism is my main path buddhism was just for interest but um hinduism is beautiful path and i it really has affected the way i see kind of uh, cosmology and spirit and whatnot um, but because I'm not, I was, I, I, I wasn't born in a, in a Hindu family and because it's not my culture, um, it, there was a lot of missing pieces to it. Right? right. So I always felt like I was an interloper that I was a guest. So I was really looking for something that really was, um, was, was me, right. My background that I could connect with. And I don't know what it was, but like, do you know, do you know when you get hunches? Yep. And you just feel like something big is about to happen and you just need to make that step. Yeah. So I, I had that experience in 2014. So I'd been living at home for about three years, um, just working for my parents, not really doing anything, kind of bumming around, playing a lot of video games. You know? 
And, um, and I got a hunch. I had a huge amount of money saved and I wanted to do something with it. I wanted to get, I wanted to get my life back, right? So I, uh, I don't know what persuaded me and I, I, I really regret doing it this way now, but I, um, I came across Azure Green's website and I was looking at the, uh, all the products on there and I was thinking, ah, this could be something. Maybe I can open a little shop, you know? Okay. Like, I, I don't even know. Like, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. Um, but something was there, that little hunch there, right? And so I opened, I, I bought tons of crystals, tons of like, you know, like over like thousands of dollars of stuff, right? I right. still have most of it here. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I still have a lot of it here. Some of the bigger, like more bulkier items. Okay. Um, so I, I started looking around and I, I, um, I got a flea market booth for three months and, uh, and, uh, and then started to go to festivals and larks. That's originally how I came across Mifwood campground and Mifwood is, um, and, and tribal hoof events really was the kind of a catalyst to bring me back into alignment with magic. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So that's really the huge, that's really the, the story here. It's not so much kind of me, you know, fucking around with crystals, but, right. um, so I, I, I kind of, 2015, I really stepped back into getting out again. I, uh, I got a driver's license. I got a car, a little tiny smart car, and uh, I was all over Ontario. So I started working the psychic fair circuit. Mm-hmm. Now, my last psychic fair was like, oh God, like seven or eight years before. And it was just as, you know, it was, it was a little tiny one that would happen in Toronto that okay. got smaller and smaller and smaller every year until it just fizzled away. Oh. And so that was my experience with psychic fairs until I started working for big circuit in Ontario here. And I think I was doing something like seven, seven of the big events each year. Okay. Um, and I did that for two years, but I, through that process, um, I met a ton of people who would be very impactful, um, became aware of um, lived magic as opposed to like embodied magic. Mm-hmm. as opposed to theoretical magic right um and so then just through that process kind of that led me to where i am now interesting interesting yes yeah so when you so through this whole process and, and you you got back into magic and mm-hmm. i'm assuming you know there was influences like people influencing your life in that regards that got you you know were they were you practicing magic with anybody or was it just being surrounded by these people and like Mm -hmm. i gotta get you know get back to the books and and start Uh, yeah a lot of talking about getting back to the books um I, uh, I mean, that was, that was the biggest problem for me was I was reading about this stuff for so long. Um, and it, it was almost like, it was very similar to, to kind of the gay community for me for a long time, because I was in the middle of nowhere and I didn't know any physical, live, full-blooded gay people. Right. It was a theory for me. It was very theoretical until I actually stepped into kind of, you know, living that life. Right. Right. Um, and so when I, when I, it was kind of a weird uh, sort of series of events that led me to going to Mifwood first. So I, I started LARPing, which is live action role, role play. 
um, a few months before, and because I originally approached him and, and to sell stuff, and then I started, you know, going in and uh, and and playing myself. One of the um, pieces to Miffwood, um, which again, beautiful campground, mm-hmm. um, was that they held LARPs on their land when they weren't doing pagan festivals or, or Culticon or whatever it was. Right? Yeah. So I I came uh, with one of the people who were part of the LARP to visit Miffwood. And I'd heard about it because um, it turns out Miffwood was only about half an hour away from my parents right. all this time. And, uh, and it took me meeting someone in Barry, which is two hours from Hanover, to bring me back to Miffwood to go around. And yeah. so when we went on a tour of Miffwood and uh, I met Cayman and Alex and um, we, uh, we were talking about the events that went on there. And they said, oh, well, you know, in two weeks time, we've got this tribal hearth event, you should come. And I said, well, I'm only half an hour away, you know, it's, uh, it will be perfect, literally like straight down the road. So I, I showed up and, um, and tribal hearth is filled with, um it's a very eclectic bunch it's um they're not just wiccans they're not just pagans they're not just shamans they're not they it's a mixture of all sorts of people so within that group that i really became involved with um we had people who were involved with the oto we had people who were um uh, connected with like heathenry and, and a satru um uh, uh, kind of eclectic pagans um magic users who had been practicing since the 80s um, and some, some fine individuals, and every single one of them had a different approach and different way, a different form of magic. And they, looking at them and really, you know, um, uh, really connecting with them, I could see that lived experience, and I wanted it for myself. You know? Right, right, right. But what I realized, really, I mean, I say that, what I realized was that I'd been doing it all by myself without like for years um in little ways throughout my life i just needed to be kind of contained and shown that yes this is magic that you've mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what uh were there any books in particular that you you think of and like okay like this book had a profound influence on me and my practice absolutely um most of the books I was reading were all fact-based. So they were all mythology books. They were fairy tale books. They were um, they were things like, oh, I don't know. Um, let me see. They they were like the the old canon, like Starhawk. They were, you know, uh, Margot Adler, the the witch's Bible. Um, But again, none of them really made, like none of them I really connected with. Like I read the material, the rituals were great, wonderful and all that. But um, but none of them clicked for me. Okay. And um, and so when I started to you know really connect with the people at Miffwood and really in Tribal Hearth, and uh, I started to research again, really stepped back into that research mode. And it was uh, I mean it wasn't new to me. I'd spent years on a web forum called Mystic Wicks when I was younger, and I don't um, it was a bit like pagan space. Okay. Um, so uh, some of the people on there, like Isaac Bonowitz was on there, um, Deb Lip was on there, um, uh, Raven Gramassi was on there, like big names, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, when I was a teenager, I had no idea who they were, right? Um, <laughs> it's, well, I mean, you know, and, and I find like, like you know, 
Um, and I mean, certainly a lot of criticism can be leveled against them now. Um, there were quite a lot of chaos on that um, web forum too. So I was, I was, I was well aware of what Libra Null was and what chaos magic was. Um, and certainly I was very, very well aware of the um, immense library that Uncle Alistair created hmm. for the, uh, you know, for, uh, for Lima. Yeah. But, uh, and, and Golden Dawn, but I never really read them and I never really connected it with my life. Um, so the one, one of the earliest books, well, seven years ago, I picked it up now, and it really connected with me was um, an occultist in uh, Germany named Jan Fries. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his, his book, Visual Magic, which is, um, it's only a tiny little volume. But um, the, the way he spoke about sigil work in that, the way he connected it with his daily routine, we were talking about routine earlier, mm-hmm. um, the way that he linked it with parts of his life and made it just normal um, and normalized it um, really right. affected the way that I, I, I approached my magic. And then after that, I just like, I just took off. So the next the preceding years after that, 2016, 2017, huge, massive growth years for me. Like, I feel like 10 years were like shoved into these like 24 months because so much happened. Right. Um, right. And now you, I, you, I you also had so much theory behind you because it's yeah. not, it's not like you weren't reading the books or mm-hmm. anything like that. You had the books, you absorbed the books. Yeah. Now everything is, coming out exactly exactly yeah. and that originally caused an issue for me i remember um when i i went to the, the first tribal hearth event um i was chosen there was about 150 people in this group and um the work that they did was really interesting they took joseph campbell's living um living uh, mythology and 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 created crafted connected rituals that told a story um and so uh you know my very first magical experience with them was um in the in the uh, stone circle that they constructed mm-hmm. um 12 o'clock at night on in the middle of august 60 people in this big space and we were completely now silent. just i if for anyone who's listening right now and is listening to every episode of the the lux files they'll have heard me talk about occulticon and mythwood campground um, but for those who haven't, this stone circle, we know plenty of people that that build little stone circles in their backyards that are like 10 foot in, in diameter. This stone circle is 100 foot in diameter. The stones are massive, massive, like taller than me, taller than... Yeah, people. some of them are, yes. <laughs> The altar stone is huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, this is like a real uh, stone circle. It's so amazing. Mythwood Campground is just amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame what happened to it, um, but it See, is. I don't know what happened to it. Um, it's been when, sold. Okay. Because when yeah. Occulticon uh, shut down 2019, and it was kind of last minute-ish. I mean, we all paid our fees. We all got our money back. But, you know, like like it was to the point where, you know, we're, you know. It was really coming down to the wire. It yeah, really we're, all, yeah. We're, we're all preparing for 2019. And then Occulticon got canceled. And then lots of rumors going around about this and that. And, um, you know, I... 
I never heard anything official. Yeah. So, so it, so it, so it has been sold. Yes. I, um, I mean, that's on the grapevine, but I also know like the next door neighbors and, um, and it was sold to a, cause, um, before, um, it, it originated as a trailer park, right? So it was a trailer park for like 30 years and, uh, and then, Oh, I didn't know out. that. Oh yeah. That's why, like when you walked around, so, um, you know, there were the, the vast, um, like, uh, part, there were the vast of fields and, the lake and all that but when you got into the actual sites that why that's why each camping site had a like an electrical outlet and and the way that they were designed it was so that they would accommodate rvs and and, uh, and oh i thought I, you when you say trailer park i thought you meant like like mobile home park yes yeah yeah no no exactly. mobile, like no 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 not not rvs mobile homes yeah. you know yeah no that, yeah both i mean that yeah both, both of them were there so oh. some of the sites were big enough that they could accommodate like those 30 foot mobile homes and then others were smaller and so rvs and like you know the small campers and things like that so oh. I, I never went when it was a, a trailer park i only ever knew it at smithwood yeah, but yeah. um so they uh so it's now turned back into that honey can you not please so oh. do you, when did it do you know when it sold I have no idea. I, uh, I I haven't like with the pandemic. I haven't really had a chance to really speak to anybody. So um, I wonder. Last year. I wonder. I mean, the buildings. Um, now again, like there are some buildings and the stage, and the mm -hmm. buildings look like they were medieval Tudor mm -hmm. style. There's the stage, uh, all built out of wood, but it looked like a castle, like yes. towers with the crenellations and whatnot. Um, and all the groves and the stone circle and the mm -hmm. stone and the sword on the yeah. little island out on the lake, um, sea henge, like all of the the pagany myth mythic stuff. Like what? Like what's going to happen to that? Where is it? Is it going to stay? No you know what I mean? It's just oh, no, it's so tragic. Know. It's so yeah. tragic. It's it's one of the yeah it um. It was it was a very emotional situation, definitely. Um, but I also realized that that I mean that coming back to that like Buddhism piece, right? Um, that that piece around impermanence, right? So this this was a piece of land that so many people connected with and worked with magically. There were shrines and altars and yeah. circles and all everywhere, right? I mean, Every remember we consecrated the uh, the voodoo shrine? Yeah, uh, exactly. Here you know 2018 and mm -hmm. yeah. just uh how yeah. tragic how tragic but, then, but that is so like that's almost part of the point right so this work was done and like to bring it back to like embodying magic right um ritual can't go on forever there needs to be an end or a conclusion or a shift um, in order for then the, the, the ritual work to do its work, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that that ritual can't be resurrected in a different form or, or, or that magic working kind of continued in a different way, but there needs to be that kind of shift, right? Um, at least my opinion anyways. Yeah. And so Mifwood was that kind of, it was a catalyst, it was a, an embodiment, it was a container for all of this work that all of these people were doing, and then it's now dissolved and those people have moved on to other things and uh and that that's the embodiment of change for me right so yeah. Yeah. um 
you know, it's almost fitting. I mean, as much as it's sad and it's emotional, but it is fitting of it. I suppose, you know, um, you know, you want to look at it in that regard, then yeah, um, it, it, it's fitting and and it kind of makes sense, but you know, it was, you know, a place for magic, for ritual um, that, you know, just should have lived on just for a little while longer. You know, I remember like some people like, oh, we should all, you know, like um, uh, basically like pool our money and mm. you know, like all have shares in Mythwood, da, 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 mm. da, da, and like, yeah i mean that's 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 an option but again that was back like you know that was during like everything was purely rumor like yeah you know people were talking that it was they were going to put it up for sale but it wasn't actually up for sale you know what i mean it was just you know there was just so many unknowns um at that yes. time yeah yeah and and that's i mean I mean, if if that had happened, if people had like in retrospect, if if people had pulled their money together and and um, and the amount to keep it running um, was quite high, and then the pandemic happened, there wouldn't yeah. have been any way to you know. So yeah, in retrospect, you know, but it it, it was an emotional thing to to leave. I had um, I had a lot of growth and a lot of of fun times there. And um, and it wasn't just like the, the ritual and the magic. It was the people too. There was some. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the friendships that I made mm-hmm. uh, because of Mythwood and Occulticon um, are just precious. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the pieces that you can continue and and take with you and and bring into different spaces, right? Yeah. 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 I look uh, at uh, the photos um, that I took of Occulticon every now and again, and just um, those moments were, were, I was just so alive during those times. And uh, looking at the photos, um, it doesn't feel like memories. Um, mm. And what it, it you know, you, I, I get a sense of, what you know how alive i felt and the energy yeah uh being present in that place with mm-hmm. all those people and uh yeah it's it's a nice feeling mm-hmm. um you know a little nostalgic but it's a nice feeling yeah. that, like to be able to tap into that energy so so purely um even now you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it's how to integrate that into your life right yeah. So like I went on and I found new communities for myself. I found that same feeling in different spheres. Um, mm-hmm. Oh God is one of them. Um, I joined uh, a, a, an ELA for uh, Santeria. And so now I, I, I really heavily work. Um, well, I don't work with, cause you don't work with Santeria. Um, Lukumi, I should call it. Um, but but, but that, it's the people, right? It's the people that you really connect with. Right. you know and and it's through those people that you have those shared experiences and you embody that and that's why for me magic can never be a singular thing anymore solely a singular thing like it has to be 
in connection with other people. Um, like, I really understand that whole idea of coven now. I really do understand that idea of fraternhood, right? Um, coming together because you can't do it all. That's what I've really discovered. And that was a humbling experience for me, was to understand that I don't need to do it all. I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know, um, you know, all the theories because somebody else can do that. Somebody yeah. else can, you know, yeah. Yeah, in a group setting, um, you certainly, I mean, could you imagine uh, if in a group setting you needed everyone to be on par with everyone else? Um, that would yeah. never, you, you, you would literally be a party of one because yeah. you wouldn't be able to have um, group activity. Uh, but no, you definitely um, can go into magic not know and when i say not knowing everything i don't mean not knowing everything that mm. you need to know about all magic and every traditions i'm talking about yeah. you know whatever tradition you're working in yeah. or you know culture or whatever um that's not what magic is like when you're in a group setting and you have say a, a an adept or a high priest or a high priest or or, or whatever mm-hmm. you know they're the ones that, you know, and, and you're less experienced, they're the ones with the experience and the knowledge. Yeah. And that's why you're there. Yeah. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why you're there is to have the, the experience with people that are more knowledgeable. Oh, completely. You yeah. know, and have the theory completely. and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Because you'll drive yourself mad, right? This is yeah. what I, my experience was, right? I was, I, I wanted to know it all. I want to get a good base so that, um, and this is a really big thing for me. When I, I first started uh, attending Mifford um, events, um, suddenly I was surrounded by people who were like me, who I could hold conversations with, but who were that much more advanced than me. Right. And so I was suddenly like not the one who was knowledgeable and that threw me into an existential crisis right right what did i do and i became the bibliophile i went and tried to read up on everything so that you know i would appear like i knew what i was talking about right right, right, right. <laughs> you yeah. know and and even when i was a teenager that was the same thing like the people who um i met on witch fox the, the the group of guys to me they were that much more advanced than me and so i wanted to be there Right. Yeah. So that really pushed me forward, but it drove me insane yeah. because yeah. no matter, and I mean, like I can understand why those alchemists drove themselves mad, why those, you know, medieval um, grimoire writers, magicians went insane because the more you go to that fountain, the more there is to drink, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and eventually you just have to stop and you have to say, okay, I am not interested in doing this like ceremonial work is not something I'm interested in. Sigil work I am. Yeah, yeah. Talisman work I am very interested in, you know. But when it comes to conjuration and whatnot, I'll go to a reader to do that, or I'll go to, you know, I'll I'll go to someone like you to conjure for me and then get that information. You know, I don't need to. And the amount of weight that was taken off my shoulders when I finally got to that place, then I realized, okay, I'm living my magic now yeah. because I need, I know then I don't need to be everything, you know? Yeah. But I mean, even in, you know, like if you have the presence of mind to know that, oh, I don't need to be proficient in every single mm-hmm. uh, magical discipline. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm more sigils and talismans. Mm-hmm. 
even then you can get stuck in the trap of I need to know the theory all exactly. on sigil magic and talismanic magic from every tradition from every culture and still drive yourself crazy completely so, and utterly oh yeah, yeah completely yeah. And so i mean even yeah. within that like if you have the presence of mind to know what you want to focus yeah. on you still need the presence of mind to know what yeah. theory or what style or what tradition you want to focus on because yeah if if your goal is to know everything about everything Mm. yeah you're just gonna absolutely drive yourself crazy and you know it's nice um just like you know when I was saying to you uh during your podcast episode Mm. how great it was for change to not be in the driver's seat Mm. because I'm used to being in the driver's seat in podcasts as a host it's the same thing with with magic or ritual when you realize there's so much freedom when you acknowledge that you don't know everything, um, that there are more experienced people out there Mm -hmm. because it gives you an opportunity to, like I lead all of my group rituals and it's so nice when I get to do a ritual where I'm, a part whether an active participant or passive participant mm-hmm. but not the lead ritualist not yes. the director, because yes. i get to um immerse myself more fully in the ritual because i get to focus on the yes. just the ritual just the magic yeah. as opposed to the directing and the like stage direction, directing, yes. and you know what I mean? No, um, I do. I do. Yeah, so the sooner you learn, or the sooner you accept that you don't know everything and you can't know everything, the more free you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and to that point, the, like I, I eventually, I, I discovered this for myself. I eventually understood that the more time I spent researching the more time I spent in books was 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 less time I was doing something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and there is something about that lived experience again I keep coming back to that lived experience and embodying it but um but there's something about the the experiential knowledge that really then will allow you to understand when theory is good and great and wonderful and applicable and when it's just words on the page right yeah yeah and and you know and in certain things i mean again if if we're talking about sigil magic talismanic magic um more theory is is Mm -hmm. fine Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about um working with nature, connecting with nature, the elements, whatnot. I mean, you can read about that from- Yeah, but unless you're going outside and immersing yourself in nature, you're not gaining anything. Totally, totally, so. yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's really it. Um, another big part of my, and I'll introduce it now, another big part of my kind of my approach lately has been ancestral work mm. and um, I've actually written a book about it and uh, it's off to publishers hopefully I can um, I can uh, I can tell you more about that in a, another future episode I won't say too much about that now well, that's but, exciting. Um, yeah um, 
But I found that with my relationship with ancestral work, um, the more you do, right, it's about doing, it's mm-hmm. about living. Yeah. Um, it's not about thinking and it's not about kind of staying with the cerebral, right? Um, and when you look at most traditions around the world, um, whether magic, whether spiritual, somewhere in between, um, the, the emphasis is always on orthopraxy. It's about the doing. It's about the correct doing, right? It's not, you, you can believe whatever you want about what you're doing, but when it comes to the actual lived practice, that has more importance, right? And oh, um, absolutely. I mean, this is yeah. magic. I mean, magic is a hands-on experience. Totally. I think the, the, the thing that we're lacking though is um, the, the cultural experience um, mm. of magic. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. We don't exist in a culture where where magic is a part of that culture. So you don't even have um like a, a passive understanding of of magic um because you didn't grow up in in traditions that did ancestor work or practical magic or anything. So we have to turn to books and mm. One can almost get the impression that we're almost poo-pooing books and that's not what we're doing. No, um, no, no. It's just, it's what we're poo-pooing is just reading books. Cause if you're just reading books on magic and not doing magic, yeah. you're not a magician. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't like the term, a lot of people like to throw, on, throw around the term an armchair occultist. <laughs> I don't really like that term unless you're claiming to be an occultist, magician, witch, whatever, but mm. you don't practice anything and you just read about it, then that sort of condescending term, mm-hmm. I, I get why people would use uh, something mm. a little condescending towards you, but uh, it's, it's almost like you're a um, amateur academic. Mm-hmm. Academics are praised for all of their hard work researching mm-hmm. X subject that they have no lived experience of. You know, thing. like ac- yeah. academics that write on magic and research magic and spirituality and, and whatever stuff like that, but don't practice it. But yet they're praised for their in-depth work and their hard work and all the research that went into it well they're praised because they have letters after their name and they're praised because they spent way too much money on student loans that they'll never be (laughs) pay off yeah the amateur air quote academic is oh, they're just an armchair occultist and we look down on them. Mm-hmm. Because we're better than them because we're the practicing occultists, yeah. you know? Um, so, I mean, if you want to be an amateur um, academic uh, on the occult, knock yourself out. Don't call yourself an occultist or a witch or a magician if you're not actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and for people that want to do the work yeah read books we're not saying don't read books but yeah I don't think like I don't think I don't yeah that's the thing I I don't think you can ever take books out of the western tradition and all of those connected traditions you can't right so much of the way that our western culture 
kind of privileges information is through the written word. Mm-hmm. What I am interested in is how um, kind of the how that literary culture is is the, on the decline, and it is on the decline. When you look at the rise of traditions, when you look at the rise of of um, kind of that, that practical magic, right? Um, you see a lot more. Um, focus on experiential knowledge and wisdom, experiential um, ritual, um, learning by apprenticeship, which I think is one of the best ways because it's such a traditional um, kind of unifying thing from all over the world. Most most cultures, even literate cultures, um, will have still that apprenticeship piece. Well, that, where well, I think magic hasn't survived through the centuries, thanks to mm. traditions and magical yes. orders. Yeah, magic has survived through the centuries mm-hmm. from that teacher to student relationship, exactly. and not teacher to students, teacher to student. Yeah, no, it's completely true. Yeah, yeah. it's completely true. And I mean, there's like not to drag psychology into this. I, I. Uh, but let's drag psychology into this. Hmm. There is a, when you really look at um, the way that magic operates in many cultures around the world, there is a spooky similarity and it's tied directly to how our minds are constructed, right? How our neural pathways and how our perceptions and how our associations. Um, So magic is bound to pop up in most cultures uh, in a similar way because it's, it's how we experience the world, right? Right. So, um, and, and that is what I'm really interested in when it comes to the psychology of magic and the psychology of kind of ritual work and whatnot. Not right. so much trying to understand it from like an anthropological point of view. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to harnessing those life hacks, right? And that's what I love about Jan Fries's books. And, and to some degree, some of the um, kind of chaos magic um, of approaches, um, but then I would also preface that by saying that, you know, chaos magic looks great on paper, but just like communism, it looks great on paper, but I don't know many people who, you know, and, and, and please don't come after me. I'm just making an opinion here. Yeah. Um, but there, there's certain, um, it's almost like, it's almost like the difference between kind of morphine and heroin, right? So the more you go down that psychological way, the less those kind of organic cultural components that are going to keep you safe when it comes to magic are taken away. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you'll be tripping out and high on this really intense energetic work that you're doing without any of the kind of the organic um, safeguards in place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a whole conversation in itself. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I don't know where we kind of got lost in the conversation. Where, where, no, where? that's what that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, we just take take the conversation um, mm. where it goes. I, I don't think. What were we specifically talking? Yeah, no, it doesn't really matter. Um, we, you know, it, basically, we, we were talking about Mythwood and your mm. experiences. Um, uh too much theory, not enough practice, and then myth with blah, 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 and, and how that all, you know, changed you and, and whatnot. Um, so that, that one book, the Jan Fries book, what was it called? Mm-hmm. It's called Visual Magic. Visual Magic. So... You, you mentioned it twice. Um, 
so well first of all like that's the only book that you really mentioned like you mentioned a few well, in passing just as just as almost yeah. a son. so there, this, there's been many more there definitely have been many more yeah. since then but that was really the first book that kind of made it um kind of accessible to me because yeah. when so, i was reading you know so when you look back on that book mm-hmm. um does it still hold up for you like like is this yes a book no. where you, is this a book where you'd be like you know what like to to a mm-hmm. uh, a newbie uh, now that you have, you know, your years under your belt, mm-hmm. um, is this a book that you're like, you know what, this book did me a lot of good. I'm going to recommend it to you. Or, I, or Oh, yeah. And I have done. I have okay. done. I think that it has a lot within it that um, it has a lot within it exercise wise. Um, approach wise, mindset wise, that can be applied to many of the multiple traditions of magic. Right. Um, now I I have I've been I'm very eclectic. I you know when I was on out exploring, I looked into hoodoo, connect with people. That's originally how I connect with the ATR community, the African uh, traditional community. Um, I looked into hoodoo. I looked into you know like grimoireic magic. I looked into all these different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I found that there was that that commonality of embodying. That really is what it is. Um, in that book he talks a great deal about how to make sigil work when you're brushing your teeth in front of the mirror and you've got like you know the the mirror is filled with steam you know put a sigil on that steam right Um, how do you bring it into on your kitchen fridge right how do you make it less about kind of the meaninglessness of ritual because ritual can become meaningless if you aren't connected with it and you're not embodying it and you're not in it and i know you know what i'm saying because you spend so much time in the ritual right yeah yeah it isn't just about meaningless actions it's about um that relationship between the intent and the action and the meaning that you ascribe to it the 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 meaning is really the glue that binds all that together yeah when you get that you can perform magic anywhere right no and it's true and it's Mm -hmm. it's absolutely true and once you experience that for the first time then you can look well you can look back to previous Mm -hmm. you've done but also you know moving on into the future when um when you're doing ritual and it is just meaningless gestures because you're not putting anything into it. And, and it's just, it's, it's one of those moments where you're basically just play acting. Um, You're not putting anything into it. You're not putting yourself into it. You're doing it just because it's become a part of your routine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is why so many of those, early witchcraft books and um and i i mean i love damien eccles i really really appreciate everything he said but his first book is like that as well um i find that you know it's it's great material it's got the material in there but if you're picking that book up as say you know uh, a kid from tennessee or whatever right and you're not understanding that there has there is meaning and consequences to those um actions in that book and you're just doing it without that divorced of that meaning mm. then nothing's going to happen yeah or very little oh very little i should say i, I like i yeah i shouldn't talk about like traditions i'm not part of but like my as an outsider looking in um you know very little would happen right yeah 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 and it's um 
but I, I, I yeah, I, I do, I do recommend that book. There's certainly been books after that. One like of the, um, hmm? like what? Um, one of the, actually, one of the books that have really impacted me lately. I'll see if it's in my little book here. Um, so I came across, now she is actually an atheist. She is a skeptic. She does not believe in magic. But this goes back to what we were saying about that, that kind of anthropological understanding of, of why magic works. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Lynn Kelly, and she has done a great deal of work on trying to understand um, ritual in traditional cultures. And, and, and what the purpose of that ritual was. And she came to understand that what was happening was ritual was being used as a memory system. So there's this ancient, ancient way called the memory of Loki, which is um, kind of harnessing how our minds work with landscape. And so this kind of goes with my Druid work too. Um, when you think about your geographic location, you're ascribing meaning and memories to those meanings to that landscape. So when you walk around your house, you'll see objects in in your space that will remind you of particular parts of your life, particular people, whatever it is, right? And so you can walk through your house and see your life laid out. What she's saying is when, um, and and she's worked a great deal with indigenous elders all across the world, that same process of kind of mentally ascribing information to visual cues was used as a a memory system to maintain uh, vast amounts of information through the the kind of the uh, the ritual um, that they would, that they would, um, that they would do. They could walk their landscape and know that, you know, in each little place of their landscape, they could go to that space and the the memorized information would come back for them because it was by association. So when I started to delve into her work, and it's very theoretical, yes, but it has a a practical application here. I understood that what we do in magic ritual is not just, you know, wave our arms around and whatnot. We're actually recreating a a landscape in our ritual spaces that is evoking the kind of the spirit or the information of that spirit and enlivening it, right? So, and, and, and religions do this all over the world. Every single religion which has a pilgrimage route, this is, this is the process. Um, right. She uses the example of the Australian Aborigines and their song lines. So their, their um, information system, which houses information from like 60,000 years ago, right, um, is encoded in rituals and stories and myths about ancestral characters who embody that information. Um, and so when they perform these rituals, they not only teach these stories and this information to the young, younger generation, but they enliven it. They step into the space and it becomes a shared space with those figures. The right. same way that when you perform a ceremonial ritual connected with the angels or with the goetic spirits or whatever, you're evoking that spirit, enlivening them to come into that shared space with you. But it's through the ritual. And that's why the ritual is so important to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like I've just gone blah, 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 blah. But no, it, that was fantastic. It, what's, what's the name of that book? It, um, so she's got several. Um, her name is Lynn Kelly. This is Memory Craft. Memory Craft. And, um, and what I love about this is that when I read this, I totally then understood what uh, talismans were. 
Mm-hmm. Because what talismans do is that whether it be, you know, high, kind of high ceremonial talismans using sigils, or if it be a simple amulet, is that it becomes a touchstone. And so when you say to somebody, this amulet is for love, and they hold it in their hands, they are holding love in their hands, then suddenly they're enlivening it and love is in part of their life, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes magical because of the meaning we ascribe to it and the meaning makes it magical it's that kind of circular process yeah yeah so love it and so that's like that i absolutely love and that's that's come a lot into my psychotherapy work lately too okay tons of stuff yeah yeah i could see that i could see that it's where that's um the importance when it comes to uh reading books um the importance of not just sticking with pagan authors or witchcraft oh, yeah. or, or magician authors you know what i mean um uh, well and that's the thing when you look at the when you look at the classical magicians and you look at the you know the john d uh, agrippa um michael scottus all of these people right most of them were polymaths they weren't just looking at um at magic they were looking at magic and astrology and the natural sciences and geography and you know all of these things and they all were connected together there was no separation um whereas nowadays i find that when you open a you know a book on magic written by whoever like whoever who knows somebody online right somebody online and they just focus on those little things the the connecting intersections are not there and that makes me bored that's just it makes me bored you know Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, it's when you're when you're writing, you know, ma- about magic and and something, you know, very specific, um, you know, you're you're not going to have an all encompassing book. What is an all encompassing book on magic? Yeah, you also ask, but yeah. you know, so it, it's it's fine. I just I find that um, because you know, most authors on magic aren't um, multidisciplinary, um, mm-hmm. that uh, despite their best efforts, there's just, yeah. there's there's so many holes and gaps that they just can't fill. Oh, totally. The reader can't fill until they explore uh, a wider world of, of knowledge you know because it's because practicing magic isn't just about learning magic mm-hmm. you know like there, there's so much more um, it grows with you right it uh, grows with you if i had tried to tell my younger self what i just said to you when i was 15 i wouldn't have gotten it yeah because yeah. I, I wasn't there right if i had tried to tell my younger self about embodying in a time when I wasn't even comfortable in my own body because of my sexuality, I wouldn't have been able to get it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it grows with you. And I think that's what I appreciate about quite a few of the people I met in Miffwood was that many of them had been practicing for so long and yet they, they never let it get to their head. Right. Mm-hmm. They understood that the, you know, who they were in the 1980s at Starwood in the States was very different from who they are now presently. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, their life now is still as filled with magic. It's just in a different way, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I sometimes um, think back uh, rather nostalgically on my teenage years when I was first discovering magic mm -hmm. and uh, witchcraft and, and paganism. Mm -hmm. And my life seemed so magical and full of magic and every the solution to every problem was run to my book searching for a spell right. and it's funny because i well i think you know there was that sense of newness sense of wonder um and the the inhibitions of youth to yeah you know, you're not so much questioning and, and you know, thinking about theory and, and reason and logic and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And I have to stop myself a lot because as an adult, when I, I look back with a sense of nostalgia on those times, I have to stop and be like, Sean, you just did three hours of ritual um, every day for the past three weeks. Um, when you're not doing personal ritual, you're in your ritual room um, mm -hmm. making magical products yeah. in a ritual process. Yeah. Sean, all your life is is magic. That's the thing. You know, it's yeah. just, it's different. I'm different, you know, and... Um, there's certainly a lot less spontaneity about my magic now, um, but it's not less magical. It's just, it's just the thing. different, you no, know? Completely. And of course no. my magic's different because I'm a completely different person because yeah. right now I'm, I'm 42. Uh, we're talking about me when I was 14. Those are mm -hmm. obviously two very different people, but yeah. also too, um, I had one, uh, initiatory experience that um changed me so uh dramatically that mm. you know the adult sean before that and the adult sean after that are um are different enough that i don't even think they would get along if they were two different people existing in the same space i don't think they would actually get along to be and how beautiful is that right how beautiful is that you know I feel fortunate for two reasons. Reason number one, that pre-initiatory experience, Sean, wasn't as good a person as I thought I was at the time. And two, even people that experience initiation don't necessarily experience, have that, you know, that that full initiatory experience you know yeah. there's a difference between initiation and uh, an initiatory ritual totally you oh, know totally. yeah um yeah if there isn't a death component then it hasn't been an initiation right yeah and i mean with you know initiation rituals have two components they have that that signifier that you've gone from here to here mm -hmm um almost like like a like a formality you know pomp and ceremony of of recognizing you know that you've completed this and you're moving on to that 
which is fine. You know, there's certainly a place for that, but that initiation within that initiation ritual, there should be some change. It may not be massively dramatic in that moment, but there should be some change there. But an initiation ritual should initiate the process. Like when you're finished your initiation ritual, I don't care what tradition you're in, you're not done. Like it's no, just no, it's starting. just a step. It's just starting. And for me, it wasn't through the, uh, it wasn't through ritual, an initiation ritual that I experienced this. I was working through um, the bardic raid um, mm. uh, with Obod, mm. and I can't remember. I was having a conversation about this with who on my podcast. I can't remember. Was it Michelle Belanger? I think you, you spoke about it. Well, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I was, yeah. who was I talking to? Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and um, um, try, I was trying to remember where in the Bardic raid, there was a, there was a certain uh, set of gores that I, I, when I did them the first time, like the exercises, I, the experience was so profound. And so I just kept repeating these exercises. I think I would. Hi everyone. Thank you for listening to the Lux files. I'm not just the host of this podcast. I'm also the owner of Lalo Gonzalez. I make beeswax and scented spell candles loose stick and liquid incense anointing rolls and bath salts so once you're done listening to this episode why don't you head on over to my website at www.laylokanzawan.com and check out my products for your convenience the link to the website is also in the show notes is in the water i think they're in the water mm-hmm. could have been earth it would have been earth or water. And um, I have a feeling it's around like worse, like 38 or something like that. So yeah, it would have been earth mm-hmm. or water, but I can't remember. And I was having such profound experiences and starting to really learn things about myself. Mm. You know, like those, those, things that that tend to be like deep down and hidden and locked away and and whatnot and um i was going through my um natural health care practitioners certification program at uh the transformational arts college oh nice oh you went went to transformational arts too yeah so uh, you know i'm doing that you know i'm immersed in that whole holistic energetic experience of that training course i'm you know with my druid grove um i'm you know finally joined formally joined obod and going through the training so i mean i was pretty immersed in it and when was this how long ago was this this would have been in 2000 and seven i believe I joined Obod in 2006. Yeah, it would have been 2007 because I moved to Texas in June of 2008. Mm. 
so or was it 2006 it was around there it was around there um oh i don't know 2006 2007 so you know it's been a while um and this initiator experience just spontaneously happened one day wow. and I remember it like it just happened yesterday um so yeah so I mean they don't just happen in no. Britain, you no, know no initiation there's yeah. certainly you know there's certainly a process like um uh almost you know you can maybe call it a, like a, a ritual process. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel you on that. I, as you were talking, I was, I was kind of contemplating those moments of big transition and change for me. And okay. not hold, all that of... thought, hold that thought okay. for a second. I'm going to pause because when okay. we, um, we had that break between your podcast and my podcast, I, I, tried to get my dogs out for a pee okay. they didn't want to go um so i'm gonna i'm gonna put them out now so i'm just gonna be okay. a few minutes. so i'm just okay. gonna hit pause okay and then we'll be right back and we're back so you were <laughs> you were just gonna i think share a yeah i um well i i wanted to pick up on on that point about um kind of you know just looking around and realizing that your life is magic right um that piece about initiation i think is important um especially in realizing that it's not a singular event you're completely right you know it is that initiation it's a, it's it's initiating a process and for me i um there was no singular kind of initiation event um, that that caused so much change in my life but in retrospect looking back you know getting to a point now where I can see that my life is magic and I do I, I embody my life my life is magic mm-hmm. um, and that realizing that has been definitely um, uh, in, being impacted by some of the people in my life definitely um, but it's um, in particular it was one year where everything just kind of changed um, I went through a period where seven individuals came back into my life in 2016 um, through bizarre means, like absolutely incredibly bizarre situations. Um, And I'm still like reeling about it even now. And the very last person that came back into my life was a former best friend of mine, somebody who I had fallen in love with, somebody who was my best friend in university and somebody who who was a split in our relationship. And it hurt. It just hurt to have him out of my life. Right. And he came back into my relationship and uh, into my into my life. And uh, and we've developed a friendship again. Um, but each time it was like, oh, for fuck's sake, it's like, really? I'll give you an example. So it was 2016. I was in Kitchener here and I was staying in a motel and I went on to Grindr. And, um, you know, for those who don't know what Grindr is, it's a, a social dating app. And uh, it's we'll not a dating app. <laughs> yeah. So um, somebody messages me on there and they don't have a Facebook. And normally I don't even bother with those, but I was like, you know what? I'm bored. Why not? 
so I started chatting to him and it turned out he was in like he, he was interested in the psychic fair and all that but anyways it, it um we just continued chatting right nothing really happened and about two months later I invited him up for a coffee and uh, and I, f- I saw him and I was like wait you look really familiar and it turned out it was somebody who I had um, slept with when I was 18 in college and university, like 10 years before, right? And it turns out that he had uh, always like held a big crush for me and it had been a big like issue for, for his life. He didn't even realize it was me, right? And, um, and so in that event, he had a lot to kind of unload and it was something I needed to hear. And that happened seven more times. Like people just came back into my life, people who were either needed to tell me something or who I was holding like a lot onto, right? And uh, and needed to to uh, let go of. And by the end of the year, um, it was pretty much a uh, the message of the universe, like don't live in the past, you don't belong there, right? And up until that point, I'd been realizing I'd been really holding on to onto the past and living in the past, not stepping into my present. Um, and that's when I knew that magic was happening in my life all the time. I was just unaware of it. Um, by about the fourth person, and like it was bizarre. Like some of this was just absolutely bizarre um, how they would show up. Like one person, it was, I met them on subway, you know, just randomly. Like, right. you know, what, what are the chances, right? Um, but I started to get a feeling when something was about to happen, I would get a, a feeling in my gut, like weird little patterns would start, little synchronicities, little, you know, things like that. And, uh, and then I would, I would know that something was just about to happen. And it did. Yeah. And, by, and that is something I still live with even now. You know, I still have that, that part of my life now. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the change that came out of that, to be able to step into the new me, yeah. you know, the person I was becoming, um, but I don't know if that would have necessarily initiated if I hadn't, you know, started to work what I had worked the in, the, the previous year. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Now, mm-hmm. when did you join? I know this. I mm. just don't remember. But I mean, even if I did remember, <laughs> it's a, it's a, you know, it's a good subject for the podcast anyways but when did you join obod absolutely so it's um 2018 i think no 2017 end of 2017 yeah because i know it was after you and i met the first time which was a call upon 2017 and that was september so i know it was after that i couldn't remember if it was 2018 or 2017 yeah it was like late 2017 yeah. early yeah. 2018 yeah 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 uh what grade are you in now i'm still on bardic okay. <laughs> yeah I, I um i found this is the thing and I, I was talking to um uh david bard about this yeah i had him on my podcast and i was talking to him after the show and i was saying how you know i'm still on bardic grade and, and he said that's totally normal mm-hmm. right people meet the material where they're at in their life and if it's not compatible with with that time in their life then it won't get done there are yeah. people who are like 20 years and they're still on bardic creed yeah right yeah yeah now obod just for the listeners um mm-hmm. obod has the three grades uh, uh bard then ovate then druid and they have the courses set up 
where you get your gores every month. And they have it set up so that you can do each grade within a year. Mm. And I don't think there are many people that mm. go through all three grades, yeah. you know, within three years. Mm. I remember when I was really active uh, on the Druid Heads Pub um, forum, um, which was uh, the forum Technically, it wasn't OBODs, mm. but it was, you know, connected to OBOD. And, you know, some people, and they were always Americans, um, that mm. like, like, like to the day, oh, I'm done Bardic, oh, I'm done Ovate, oh, I'm done Druid. And, you know, I, I, I always kind of was like, really? Yeah. Really? Um, but I mean, you know, whatever, teach their own. Um, I think someday I'll do Druid grade. Um, you know, maybe just to finally, you know, technically complete it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I joined OBOD, well, definitely for the fellowship. I mean, I had been eyeing OBOD for years. And then when I met... Um, first gail who um i had her on my podcast um two podcasts ago mm. Yoga. Mm -hmm. i met her through me joining the fellowship of isis and and i can't remember how the conversation went but i probably would have mentioned obad or she mentioned obad and oh no i no 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 actually no i would have mentioned obad because i remember my reaction was just like oh i'm a member of obad and i'm like oh my god and then she's telling me about their grove and blah 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 so i started Is she part of the um mystic rivers grove with sarah out in boston area no, no, no. So no. this was when I was living in Toronto. Oh, uh, right. So this, okay. Okay. Yeah. So this predates mm -hmm. um, my move to Texas. So okay. I was living in Toronto okay. at the time and I joined the Fellowship of ISIS. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, so the reason why I joined OBOD was for the Fellowship because I'm now doing, you know, the, the eight um, Sabbaths. You know, we're, we're going out to, uh, well, not in Mount Force, but um, uh, two members, they had, uh, originally was an eight, they they bought an eight, eight acre property, but then they bought the property, the house next door to them as well. Mm -hmm. So now they had a hundred acres. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh God. If you are any form of pagan, this 100 acre property would be your dream property because it's all surrounded by farmland but there's this oh, 100 acres yeah. that is well there's a bit of alfalfa growing oh wonderful otherwise it is 100 unsuitable for any type of farming right and when they sold off the the second property they wanted to split it 50 acres, 50 acres, and they couldn't because this 100 acres surrounded by farmland is a area of natural and scientific. So they can't, they have to keep it one, yeah. So while they were able to split it 80-20, uh, one of the reasons why um, uh, it, it has this designation is it's the 
uh, God, what were the snakes called? Massasauga rattlers. The the most northern part where they've been found. Wow, on that land, on that property. On that property. Wow. So it's beautiful property. There's a couple mm. of ponds. Uh, this big bowl shape um, mm. in in the ground um, behind the house where mm. we do all our rituals, and then you know it's hill, and then this forest and ravine. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it's perfect it's perfect um so it was definitely the fellowship uh that i joined but i joined for the bardic grade because i was looking for that that alchemical um um that that alchemical work through the mm -hmm. elements you know that that uh that inner work that change you know that that you go through and i didn't I just couldn't find it anywhere else. You know, I, I had joined a gardeneering coven and it wasn't giving me what I was looking for. I joined the fellowship of ISIS and it wasn't giving me what I was looking for. Like that, that, that personal alchemy, that, that transformation, mm. that, that dramatic change. And, you know, regardless of the tradition or, or, or whatever, um, all these training programs, they're all, similar you know mm -hmm. like in the western um um esoteric tradition mm -hmm. uh you know working through the elements mm -hmm. uh you know in a similar way there's differences of course and mm -hmm. it's not that just because every tradition is copying off of every other tradition and, and making changes it's just it's part of the esoteric western esoteric tradition mm -hmm. and um and something about Obad and Druidry was, was, was calling me and I'm like, okay, this, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then I met Gail and, oh, I'm a member of Obad. Then I met the Grove and we're celebrating. So, you know, the, the reason why I joined Obad was for the Barter grade, not to, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go through the three grades. I'm going to be Druid grade and I'm I Druid leader. You know, it wasn't anything about that. Um, it was for that that um, that alchemical transformation that I was looking for, and which I got. And you know, having that you know um, spontaneous initiatory experience that I was um, telling you about. So, um, so I got what I what I went to Obot for. What you know what I mean. Um, just in the bardic grade mm. and so it's yeah it's it's not like you have to go through all three oh, grades yeah. and you don't have to rush through all three grades even um but yeah they're not even set up like um it's 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 they're three separate grades because they're three separate mm -hmm. functions uh, yeah, yeah functions and 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 the training is different in all three grades but it's not set up like like a hierarchy where ovate is is above bard and druid is above thing, right and, and yeah bard, you know what i mean and i have noticed that um quite a few people who are coming in um specifically americans and i and i have I, and i know why that is and i know why that is because it's partly it's cultural partly mm -hmm. it's because of a sheer distance between all the various groves in the states um you know in the uk everyone's so much closer together that you know everybody gets together right mm -hmm. um but uh, i um 
I, uh, yeah, that, that hierarchy piece is, is, is certainly an interesting kind of cross pond kind of issue, but mm -hmm. it isn't that, right? It is really each function is very different. With me, I'm finding that um, because storytelling and the power of story and the kind of the relationship between kind of the recipient and the teller of stories um, is such a big part of my life right now. It's a big part of my magic. It's a big part of my psychotherapeutic work. It's a big part of my personal work. Um, that I'm very comfortable in sitting and exploring and, and dwelling in that bardic role right now. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I, I you know, I, there's, there's so many mysteries in, in that one grade that if I were to then think to skip ahead to the next one and, and you know, really immerse myself in Ovate, which is a lot more about community service around putting yourself into those places um, of, of, of service to others and service to self and yeah. service to everything around. Um, I don't know if I would, I, I feel like I would still have a lot of work left to do in the Bardic Creed, even though I've done the material, right? Yeah. 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 And you know, embodying it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, that's a thing because with the change that I experienced because of the Bardic Creed mm. led me to, you know, and, and the, the, also, like I said, you know, I was I was doing that that holistic program yes. um, mm -hmm. at the time too. So you have the the ovate stuff. Mm -hmm. I was already living. Mm -hmm. Um, you know the the community service and the 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 leadership through ritual um, that you find in the druid grade. Mm -hmm. um, I got to naturally, you know what I mean? Because, you know, the, the thing about the, the Oba course in particular is it's, it's such a natural um, progression and transformation, um, almost logically so. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm at the point now, like I would do the Druid grade just for the formality of getting, you know, the, the certificate, quote unquote, the title, you know what I mean? Um, the, the, the need and, and the need for that just lessens mm -hmm. as the years go by, you know, that, that validation, you know, or that, that authenticity. Mm -hmm you know um yeah well, because you're you're already serving the responsibilities right mm -hmm. you're already fulfilling those responsibilities that will come with that because i i find like with titles titles anywhere right it doesn't matter what tradition doesn't matter what it is um you know the immature mind would look at those titles and be like that's where i want to be when in reality it's more of a, just a calling card for the responsibilities that connects with that title, right? And so when, like, what strikes me about what you, you were talking about in the podcast, like my, my, my podcast episode, you were talking about stepping into that role with your drag of, you know, fundraising, of, um, of assisting and doing charity work and, and stepping into that leadership role through that. But it isn't leadership role for the sake of leadership. It's really responsibility 
And people yeah. who are not prepared to step into that responsibility, the title becomes meaningless. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the one thing you realize too is that um, leadership is, true leadership is more about service than mm -hmm. it is about ordering people about because the more I step into a leadership role, the more heavy lifting and grant work that I do. We, like in whether it's in ritual, yeah. you know, the magical, you know, my my the magical aspect of my life or the mundane aspect of my life, um, true leadership, your you know, you're not at the top, you're not at the pinnacle, you're at the bottom, you're the foundation, you're the one that has everyone else on your shoulders, you know, um, that's true leadership. And, you know, and so many people, um, I think, come into the, the pagan world, occult world, you know, however you want to define it, looking for high titles, um, to fulfill uh, um, an ego need yeah. and hopefully those people through the work transform um, but a lot don't yes so, and then you get a lot of very culty behavior yeah and um and, you know, I'm also torn too, because, you know, you get some people, some really questionable personalities that are hard to deal with, um, that can be disruptive, um, potentially um, threatening or dangerous. And I mean, you have to, mm -hmm. um, you have to take care of them, like you, the, you know, you have to remove them from your space. You have to put up boundaries. Yeah. You have to put up boundaries. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm torn though, because those are the people that end up becoming the EA quettings of the world, mm. you know, um, and starting their, you know, a little personality calls yeah yeah and which leads to you know followers murdering women yeah as sacrifices to you know the devil yeah you know um so you can't have them around but you want to you want to see them transform in a positive way but they're not going to do that on their own. You're just, you know, you're, you're just, yeah. you're, you're stuck. I mean, you have to step back and say, you know, as, as much as your role, um, you know, in this magical community, there, there's so much more to being in this magical community than just doing magic. Um, I think a lot of it is is helping people and mm. always starting from a place of love. Yes. And I'm not talking about, you know, 
love and light and and fairy mm-hmm. glitter and woo 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 i just say you know you you start from a place of love um as opposed to hate or apathy mm-hmm. or disinterest mm-hmm. um but you just can't help everybody you can't save everybody and we know this and you know logically we know this rationally we know this um but you know in theory but that's hard to put into practice it's hard to give up on people yeah you know yeah i know i have to Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it any easier no but that's um that is your own stuff right right that's your own stuff right if Mm. we you know and i i feel the same way you know um because you come from that authentic place of self, right? Talking about personal alchemy here. Mm-hmm. When you get to that, that pure sense of self, which is altruistic and wanting to support others and all of that, um, it can be very difficult to, while coming from a place like that, see other people who are still very much egocentric and you know working from their own egos and their own selfish needs and all of this. But it's a trap to want to to save the whole world yeah. right yeah. it is a trap you'll it turn your you'll, you'll you go can. insane yeah you will go yeah. insane right because it's never ending right yeah. you know while we're in these physical forms we're not bodhisattvas right yeah you know yeah. Um, you, you you see these like parents for example if you if you want to take it to a mundane level mm. parents that you know spend years trying to help their son or daughter who's who's suffering through addiction and emptying their bank accounts to put them in um treatment facilities and you know taking out a second mortgage on the house you know just really um sacrificing their dream their retirement their comfort and security to help their kids and finally cutting the cord and just letting their kids go and on the outside you know and i mean we love as as a species we love to judge other people how could you do that they're your son how could you do that they're your daughter what kind of parent are you Mm. uh the kind of parent that has dealt with this for 10 years um unsuccessfully Um, it's so easy to judge when you're not in that experience. Um, and it's, yeah, it's hard to say, but sometimes you just gotta let It's a kindness, right? This is the thing. And uh, I'm remembering a conversation with my godfather, who is uh, a priest of Oshun. He's crowned Oshun. And he, uh, he he was telling me once, that when he was having a reading done, the the message coming from Oshun was sometimes the kindest thing is to let people smash against the wall. Yeah. If you have somebody who is so dead set on running and, and hurting themselves, the kindest thing you can do is let them hurt themselves because yeah. then they're taking ownership of that. Yeah. You try to hold them back, you're keeping them in a place of... It's a helicopter parents, right? You're keeping yeah. them in a place of infantilization and that's not going to help them 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I get into the, you know, the, the discussion of true will, yeah. not free will, mm-hmm. uh, true will, like in, in the, the magical sense. Mm-hmm. And do I, like, when do I step in? Mm. Um, we, you know, I want this, I want to help this person that's on a, you know, negative self-destructive path, but who am I to say that they're not living their true will, you know? Um, so when do you step in and help? When do what does that help? what does that even mean what does stepping in to help look like what does it what's the effects what's the intention there's so many things right and there's so many pieces of that that come from us you know and in- well the thing is is that you know when you see someone hurting someone in pain mm-hmm. um and you want to help yeah. part of that there's a level of selfishness there because I would feel better if you felt better. Exactly. You know, um, so I, you know, I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I, I step back and say, you know, I'll always be willing to help, yeah. but only if I'm asked to, mm. because otherwise, I'm deciding what your true will is. I'm deciding what your path is. And that's not our rule. Yeah. And then that makes me think, you know, I I start going into these, you know, I, I, my, my thoughts just spin out of control. And then I'm thinking, okay, well then interventions, those I would never be able to take part in. And they fail often. They well, often you fail, fail often, but yeah. the, the person who, you know, the, the addict yeah. isn't inviting everyone to an intervention. Yeah. They're being ambushed. Yeah. So if I'm coming from that place of true will, then mm-hmm. I couldn't take play, part in, a, in an intervention. Mm-hmm. Like morally, ethically, uh, from my my magical spiritual uh, standpoint, I wouldn't be able to take part in an intervention because we're all deciding what's best for this person, not this person. You know what I mean? Uh, but then I just wrap back around. Oh, but what if this is their moment and this is their time? And mm-hmm. you know, you just it's you just start thinking Completely. in circles. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and you don't come up with an answer because you can't, there is no answer. No, no. There that, is- that's the, yeah, that's the lie of it is that constantly looking for an answer um, when the answer is very apparent, right? The answer is that that individual has had so many opportunities in the life where they were, where their, their will, their ability to step into ownership was taken away, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, often addiction is connected to trauma and often trauma is connected with some sort of an abuse situation or something external to themselves where their ability to feel empowered and in control of their life was taken away. Yeah. Right? 
know? yeah and so interventions often fail because what the addiction actually is is a coping mechanism with whatever is underlying that and yeah. then you get a bunch of people coming and trying to take that coping mechanism away yeah you know it's an unhealthy coping mechanism but it's for them it's a coping mechanism yeah so what what the work then at least speaking psychotherapeutically here is to look at what is the healing needing to be done underneath that addiction so that then the addiction becomes useless to them you yeah know what I mean? yeah you know yeah yeah it's um it um and i mean that that takes a lot of understanding especially when um, you do feel all these things. You feel bad for them. You want to help them. All of this. Well, that's your stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. I would certainly feel a lot better to see this person that's in front of me in pain not yeah. be in pain. So yeah. I'm starting from a place of me, from a from a place of ego, because now I'm like, okay, well, I need to feel better and in this situation and the only way to feel better in this situation is to make this other person feel better and so i've decided everything in that moment for this person i've decided what's best for them you know etc 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 and um i'm not taking into consideration their true will their needs, their, you know, the, the lessons that they need to learn. So, yeah. So now it's more of a, it's a step back and, you know, help when asked. Yes, exactly. And that's to kind of tie this back to the idea of magic, right? The most powerful magic spell I have ever been taught. And it was by a Babalao friend who makes a huge amount of sense. He said, light a white candle and pray to whatever spirit you're working with, that this person gets what they deserve. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if they deserve to be punished for whatever reason, they'll be punished. But if they don't deserve that, then they won't. Yeah. Yeah. And then that takes... it. It's, it's, it's surrendering, right? It's surrendering to that higher power outside of ourselves, the will of the whole universe, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and then it, it, it's not petty, yeah, because so yeah. much, you know, so much of magic in wanting to help becomes petty yeah. because it's locked into those kind of those 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 feelings, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not comfortable, so I want to be comfortable. So I want, you know, the world to change. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, by sort of by by doing that. Pro- and, you know, we were talking about this um, a little bit earlier. Um, mm-hmm. different contexts, but by, you know, you want to help this person and it's certainly going to make you feel better, but true will, da, 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 da. So, yeah. you know, you do like, like that little ritual that you suggested, mm-hmm. you're surrendering and that's freeing and that feels good. That you're not doing, you're not, definitely not coming from a place of ego, mm-hmm. but it's serving the same purpose as that ego driven. Well, I know what's best for this person. So I'm going to help them so I can feel better, you know? So you, you get to that same place. They may not, 
but you do. And yeah, surrender, not always being in the driver's seat. It, you know, it's, it can be so freeing and so healing and, and, um, it's, it's a good, it, it can be a good place to be. Yeah. It almost sounds counterintuitive sometimes, but, uh, uh, surrendering, uh, is a good place to be. For, this for is the God. thing when you step into that place, right. When you are able to see your life in that magical way of looking at it, then the onus is taken away from constantly having to do spells to change the world around you mm -hmm. because then you don't see yourself as separate from the world around you you're part yeah. of the world around you right i um i this past um summer i went down to um my tattooist down in london and i finally got one that i have wanted for a while and i got this tattooed onto me oh there we go we can see it it's the bind rune of weird mm. Okay. That interconnection of everything, right? When you look at like the Anglo-Saxon concept of weird, that idea of fate, um, it's so different from kind of the, the fate that came down to us from like, uh, even from Hermetic, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it is that idea of interconnection. It is that idea that, you know, no matter, you know, you, you think that you're separate. And so you do all this magic, blah, 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 whatever, right? To change the world around you. When in reality... When you begin to see your interconnection with the world around you, you can then perform magic in subtle ways to yeah. affect bigger things, right? Yeah. Absolutely. That's where true magic is. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It doesn't need to be this grand ritual. It doesn't need to be this big, huge, long 30 day thing. Um, it, it can be very subtle. It can be a little whisper here in order to hopefully affect, you know, over here. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, one thing that, uh, you know, the, the idea of letting go that I've gotten somewhat good at mm -hmm. is, um, you know, the whole political landscape, what's going on in the U S right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would just like infuriate me and frustrate me and be like, I'm in Canada. I'm, I'm a Canadian citizen. There's mm -hmm. nothing I, I can't vote anyone out. I can't recall anyone. There's nothing I can do about America. Am Americans have got to take care of America. I certainly can't do it. I just got to let go. And um, once I um, once I, I started thinking in, in, and I mean, it's hard because it, it seems every week there's something else. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, the newest thing, the the uh, Texas's abortion ban. Yes. And so like my blood is boiling and it's like, remember, Sean, this isn't your country. You, you can't nothing you can say or do is going to change it. Yeah. Every you tweet isn't going to change it. Yeah. Stop. You, like you have your own country to worry about. And, you know, the blood pressure just drops. You know, the blood, blood, yeah. blood pressure just dropped. You just got to surrender and let go. Yeah. yeah. You know, those things. It's about affecting yeah. what you like. It is about affecting what you can control. Yeah. Which when you really look at it and you really start to understand it, it's very little, right? Yeah. The, and the weight that can be taken off of that. But yeah. that doesn't mean that you then have to give up. Doesn't mean that you 
can't relate to the person in front of you from that place of loving kindness and that place of 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 interconnection and all of that you know yeah but it also doesn't mean that you have to then spend so much time fixating on something that is so much bigger than you yeah yeah exactly exactly and you know i have um I understand the the uh, political nature of the occult community. I mean, you know, the occult magic has always been subversive and political. Um, mm-hmm. You may not like that reality, but that's a reality. You know, see a lot of people um, commenting on, you know, um, on, on Twitter, on you know, especially like like. Uh, pagan authors and witchcraft authors and they'll post something political and someone's like oh you you should just tweet about your books and not about politics or else i'm gonna unfollow you like and they're all like do it (laughs) and unfollow me you know like uh, witchcraft is political it always has been You, you just because you deny that doesn't change reality or history no so i you know I get that the occult has always been political um, and we've always done things for change. So I'm not saying that that's not valid, but Mm -hmm. you know, the whole like bind Trump movement and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. like he's so far outside your sphere of influence. Yeah. Um, And you're focusing on and and you're you're focusing on the wrong thing. I mean, mm. Trump wasn't the Trump was a uh, a symptom. He wasn't the problem. Yeah, you know the the problem was the people that are within your sphere of influence. Yeah, you know because Trump didn't elect Trump. Mm. It's the people that elected Trump. So if you don't want that Trumpy type of politics mm. in your country. And you want to do magic mm. or change, mm-hmm. then do magic on the people that are within your sphere of influence, the people around you. You know what yeah. I mean? No, uh, I, I do. I, I, I think I get I get the whole um the whole um like oh look look at me, look what I'm doing on social media, yeah. like you know. Yeah get the likes, get the retweets, get the follower count up high. I get that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Bind Trump movement, that was just a marketing um, uh, a, a marketing technique to sell a book anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I get, I, I get that aspect as well. But if you mm-hmm. genuinely want to, you know, make change, mm-hmm. um, then you need to just like, like, you know people say like um all politics is local uh well your then your magic needs to be local as well yeah you know yeah i i I really struggle with with that one myself i i get the intention behind it i do yeah um and but i i think that it is very indicative of how how as a society and like Canada and the United States we're the same society as much as we, we we don't want to admit it we are the same society right what happens down there affects us up here right? yeah um 
what I think that is very indicative of is how people and social media doesn't help, but mm. how, um, especially the younger generation, cope with bigger issues, right? Uh, that interconnection piece is missing. Yeah. You know, that, that interconnection piece is really missing nowadays, I find. Yeah. And so to admit that something is far more complex than the figurehead, the symbol that you've ascribed all of this to, or that is, is kind of embodying all of those problems, um, there's power in that. But mm. if, you, if you lop off the head, the body is still there. And yeah. like, you know, the hydra will still, you know, another head will come up, right? So it's... Um, it's, but it's very indicative of kind of how society is right now in general. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what kind of social issue is out there. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that uh, magic and, 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 and occultism and, and the baking community and however um, other communities you want to add on, onto that, um, there's, there's embodied power in it, right? There's a reason why so many queer people are in these, you know, marginalized spiritual communities. So many queer people are suddenly taking up. Well, I mean, I don't even want to say suddenly. I think it's always been there. I think it's just now very open and, you know- It's just a lot more visible. Yeah, yeah. just a lot more mm -hmm. visible. And I mean, you know, queer people have always been in this space, mm -hmm. but not but completely underrepresented i mean we like to pretend you know that the like and i am going to separate because normally just like a cult a community just as a umbrella term for pagan witchcraft you know whatever but i do have to differentiate um mm -hmm. like the neo-pagan uh community um um likes to pretend that it's always been an inclusive space when it hasn't, but well, first of all, there's been a lot of like active exclusion, but you inclusion isn't saying, oh yeah, you're queer. You can celebrate with us, even though nothing that we do or teach or believe includes mm -hmm. um, you. Yeah. Includes you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but we fooled ourselves into, into believing that we were, you know, the, the neo-pagan community is this, yeah. you know, all-encompassing. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing, if you right. look at it now, like, I mean, you know, the, um, I, I know a lot of gay gardenerians, I know a lot, you know, quite a few Alexandrians, but, um, but the, the spaces that seem to be the most popular right now. Um, and even in the past like 20 years, think of uh, the Radical Fairies, the Minoan Brotherhood, um, the, uh, the newer ones coming up, like the Temple of Antinous, um, all of these things. Hoodoo is actually becoming the, uh, the next big one for queer people. I'm seeing so many people um, on, on Facebook groups, on whatever, um, uh, you know, moving into those spaces. Um, yeah. And, and even the deities and the figures, um, these marginalized figures, Hecate, um, Aphrodite, which makes total sense, but even the devil. I mean, the, in the past five years, um, a huge number of, of, of um, queer, satanic, and, uh, and devil um, worshiping groups, uh, traditional witchcraft, um, have, have come up and been formed. And, you know, um, so, but it, that always speaks to that liminal space. Whereas yeah. the you know the 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 Gardnerian even Alexandrian 
um, uh, you know, the twofold goddess um, or threefold goddess, and 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 the binary doesn't work. And yeah. and you know, it's 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 fascinating to see that that liminality, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Does um, do you find that that your sexuality informs your practice at all? Oh, that is a great great conversation. I actually was having this conversation um, earlier with somebody. Um, I'm still uncovering that question for myself i i think it does i definitely think it does um i don't practice sex magic or anything like that but um but being like having my lived experience and i'm, I'm gonna guess the same with you being in that liminal space being in that outcast space um it couldn't it couldn't have not affected my magic right um but i i do think that the more i age the more i'm beginning to see that as a um what am I trying to say here? I see it as a paradigm that I see my world through, right? So, um, and I know you're on Cobod, the, uh, the queer Obod page. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been, and I'm actually enjoying that a lot more than the main Obod Facebook group, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I find that when I ask, because I've been asking quite a few questions like this on there, you know, what is, how do you relate to deity through uh, your sexual, your sexuality, or even gender identity, right? How do you, you know, in what ways does magic um, uh, kind of manifest through those things? I find that people have a vague sense and a knowing, but they don't want to talk about it, or they just, they've never thought about it that yeah. way. So, yeah. For me, I definitely, like, the, some of the, the spirits that I work with, some of the deities that I work with, the type of magic that I work with, um, my understanding of magic has definitely been affected by my lived experience mm -hmm. but i'm also a gay man in my middle 30s um living living atop in the city right so um kind of my 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 experience of of, of coming out which was a, an initiation process um my experience of you know uh, uh, kind of finding that that comf that comfortable zone when it came to masculinity versus femininity yeah um, kind of un you know just take ripping down that binary for myself um has certainly affected my magic because i don't see now magic as such a binary kind of sense you know it's a lot more interconnected it's a lot more um fractal you know what i mean yeah 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 does that make sense? I feel like I'm just oh, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. It, make, it makes total sense. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this this is a, a difficult um, topic mm. because I, I think what a lot of people do, and I, and I'm not judging this, mm. um, I'm just, this isn't my approach, um, is, okay, well, which, which gods are the queer gods or the, mm. the gender fluid gods? Um, what, what mythology is queer and working, you know, with, with those gods within that mythology and which is fine like if, if that's if if that's how like if you need to see your sexuality in your gods and in mythology to to have some sort of validity or or 
acceptance, then 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 fine. Like if if that's if that's what it takes, great. Um, that's not what I do. Um, but through my experience working with gods and spirits, um, I don't know. Well, maybe polytheists, you know, would believe that like a like a female goddess is female, a male god is male. But I don't know if there's many of us that actually believe that, you know, ex goddess is is, mm. you know, female, and and it's that's just like that it's a hard fact and yeah, yeah you know yeah. it's it's incontrovertible and and she can't change evolve adapt you know through the centuries or just with my experience of her or him as as the case may be but i find through like my experience my personal experience um through my spirituality and my magic is that um i the gods and spirits present themselves the way i need them to present themselves even without me consciously realizing totally you know yeah. what i mean yeah um, no totally i do yeah and you know, as far as, you know, like we, we have this, um, this obsession in the neo-pagan community, you know, with, with fertility and, you know, the joint of male and female, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't really resonate with that so much. I've worked within that mythology. It doesn't bother me as a, as a gay person, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, heteronormative um, um, sort of influence on neo-paganism doesn't offend me or bother me that much, but I just internalize that, that bonding of feminine and masculine yes. and really embrace both mm. you know in in more of a balance totally yeah totally um yeah. that that's basically how i i i guess how yeah. how my sexuality informs my practice um totally. like i said I, I i don't i i don't feel the need to go and search out um queer mythology I hear you. Yeah. I, yeah. And, I, and well, I'm too. To me, I mean, I've been out of the closet since I was 14 or 15. I mean, I've been out of the closet more than I was in the closet at this point in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just feel like that's attempting to validate queer I, sexuality you know what i mean um I just like when people when people are like oh um uh viking warriors would would have male viking warriors mm -hmm. uh the 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 weaker one would 
be the bottom to take mm. in the strength and essence that okay that's fine but that's not queer culture yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. men yeah. going through this this process yeah. um that's not queer culture mm. um uh, when people talk about uh, men in drag in in uh, Tudor times. Yeah. They no, they weren't in drag. It was illegal no. for women to be on stage. This drag, is a thing. Yeah. Drag has nothing to do with the patriarchy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because a, a man's in a dress doesn't make it drag. You know. You know. Um, so it's uh, there's uh, uh, in in. I can't remember what Pharaoh's tomb, uh, a painting of his hairstylist and manicurist, they're holding hands, they're gay lovers. Oh, mm. ancient Egyptians, you know, accepted homosexual. You don't know that. Yeah. You don't know that. And you don't need that as validate yeah. your existence now. That was 4,000 yeah. years ago. This is now. I, I just find too many people are looking to the past mm. for evidence of homosexuality yeah. in accepted, accepted form to say, see, we're yeah. valid. Yeah. No, you're that's valid, a very you're valid human because favorite. you're alive. You're valid no, because you're alive. You're not valid because, yeah. because there's a painting mm. of two Egyptian men yeah. 4,000 years ago holding hands. Oh, you're valid because you're alive. Yeah. But that is a very human thing. You, like it doesn't oh, matter yeah. what kind of. Oh yeah. Like the, the 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 reach back for authenticity through history is a very human trait. It doesn't matter kind of what what area you look at. Um, I did want to make a point. Um, uh, what you raised before about how you know uh, people are running out and looking for queer deities to worship, and I think that's I of what I have seen. And I, I've experienced this myself to some degree, but of what I have seen, I think that's a stage along, uh, like that's a phase along yeah. the stages of of owning your your spirituality, right? Yeah. Some of the um um some of the very interesting folk that I've been connecting with lately, um, you know, I, I ask them these questions, right? Because I'm very I'm I'm particularly interested in queer spirituality, um, uh, for my practice because it is an area that for a lot of queer people um, especially immigrants from Christianity or Islam or, or whatever it is um, you know refugees I should say um, spirituality can be a very dangerous place sometimes because of that of that past trauma yeah I have noticed that the the, the most interesting people to me are the people who they don't look to queer deities to validate themselves they look to queer deities that represent their lived experience. So, for example, two deities that are very um, popular right now, that have been popular for, well, three deities, I should say, that have been popular for a long time. Hermes, Pan, Pan and Dionysus. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Hermes. I love him to bits. And for a long time, I really connected with him, his story, because I can see him in my life. I can see his... Um, his energy, not so much his physicality, his energy in my life, that trans, that, that, um, that power of change, of, of transaction. Transaction has been such a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody who, um, 
well, two guys actually, very uh, uh, wonderful individuals, like really incredibly interesting individuals. We were talking about Dionysus and how when they're involved in orgies and they're involved in like, you know, in the bathhouse, just going at it, having fun, and it's and it's a bacchanalian feast, right? Mm-hmm. They then see in that queer space, Dionysus, and they see the the energy behind that environment and that that situation in him and so when they're honoring him they're honoring their lived experience and i think for some re- for, for a lot of people the idea of fertility especially for like um um uh, for, for for women who are going through pregnancy and who that's their lived experience their bodies are producing so the danger with that is when that becomes dogma. And that's yeah. why Wicca has become so dogmatic when it comes to that is, you know, it's, it's tight. It's, it's typecasting human experience into only two forms yeah. when in reality it isn't. There's a, a wonderful podcaster from uh, down in Sarnia area, Sarnia, Windsor area. Um, she's called the, um, the fat feminist, Witch. oh, and she's I, fantastic. I, I yeah. love her. Yeah. And you know, I feel so guilty. I have to be honest. I feel so guilty because I got into it with her a few years ago when I was in a different place in my life. Right. And, um, and she, cause she was asking the question, uh, and it's a fantastic question. Like, I, I really want to reconnect with her and ask her where she got with it. She was asking, for women like me who aren't going to have children, where in this threefold system of, you know, crone, maiden, and mother, where do I fit in that? Mm-hmm. You know, what other forms, um, uh, you know, do could I fit into this? And for me, I went all like, you know, uh, this is me in my theory mode, armchair, you know, occultist, that kind of idea, right? Is, oh, well, you can't take that away. How dare you? you that's a, a sacred system for people, blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Now I'm in a much more mature part of my yeah, life. Yeah. I understand that lived experience, but I'm like, Paige, that is a fantastic question. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, and I've always, that, that example always sticks with me because that really embodies that that like that punches the wall and says yeah where am i in this threefold system just like queer folk where are we in this kind of you know the mother and the father like you know can we not have the daddy and the son you know (laughs) you know what i mean yeah Yeah. oh yeah Yeah. and i hope if Paige is watching this i really hope that we can have that conversation now that i'm in a much better place (laughs) right yeah but it's fantastic but I, and I feel like for queer folk who are owning their spirituality and their sexuality um, and their gender identity, it's, that is the, 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 the switching point. That's when it becomes less a validation and more of a, I see it in my world. Yeah. So I'm honoring my world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Have you had Paige on your podcast? I think you should totally have her on your podcast. I think, I think, well, she would make a, a great guest i think mm. we have a, a great conversation um uh she has a great personality mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i the, the the my wish list of um of guests is so long which is great because that just means you know mm. well not Lots like not like everyone not like everyone that I ask is gonna you know obviously come on but <laughs> I mean I I just have such a huge wish list of of guests and um I haven't had anyone uh turn me down wonderful uh, that's good wait 
no i haven't had anyone turn me down um i had one that agreed we set the date and time and then there were just a no-show oh yeah um yeah so yeah and then you have me who thought that we were meeting last night not today you know i i totally panicked because um i interviewed laura tempest zakroff oh yes i saw that you posted that yeah but our interview was supposed to be last tuesday and Mm. she asked if we can move it to um to yesterday Mm. and you know i i do like i i do one interview a week just because um two interviews like that does take up a lot of time oh totally yeah and either i'm super busy with work and now here's like six hours that i'm not working or like today i finally have like no like all my orders shipped out today and tonight if i wasn't doing the podcast i would have there's a couple of candles i have to label then i would have just relaxed because i've been go 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 for these past couple weeks um it's been like three well it's been four weeks now of just constant go 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 but i basically i've done like eight weeks worth of business in Mm. in this four week period so it wasn't ideal because now now i have two podcasts uh to do this week technically three because we did part one with with you um but she was at the the tail end of finishing a manuscript Mm. and uh yeah so uh so she asked if we could move it to to tomorrow i'm like yeah it's no problem last week i was so freaking busy that it was like a godsend um when she emailed me to ask to move it Mm. so then when you send me the message and I'm just getting ready to go in with Laura. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? I and then I, then I looked at my calendar. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I, I put it down with Ben for Wednesday, but maybe my calendar's wrong. Let mm-hmm. me check my Zoom link. And it was Wednesday. I'm like, okay, I'm right. Ben's wrong. Yes. I don't <laughs> no, you're to, okay. <laughs> I don't have to feel guilty about double booking yeah. Ben and Laura on the same day. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel you though. I feel like I'm I'm in the same way. I've started booking all my people for my 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 season two. Um, I just did an episode of Morgan Daimler. I don't know if you know her. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. It was um, wonderful, absolutely wonderful book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the name of her book. Say it for me because I can't think of it. There's 39 of them, so I have a whole choice too. No, uh, um, like uh, her her last book. Um, her last book was A Field Guide to uh, Fairies. Um, she's also done one on Odin. She just came out with a... Um, she did um, one on Morrigan years ago. Um, I thought it was her last book. Anyway, never mind. Never mind. Anyways... Um, I can't think of the title. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. Uh, how did that go? It was beautiful. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. But what I love about these podcasts and, and stepping into interviewing is I have had the chance to connect with some really cool individuals, people who you know when you're 
when you're reading their books, right, you, you think and you project and you have all these ideas about who they'll be. And then when they're actually sitting in your chair and you can, you know, really connect with them and talk with them, like they're, they're sweethearts, you know. Yeah, yeah, People yeah. like to talk about themselves. They just don't know how. That's yeah, what I exactly. found. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my hardest interview was with Thorn Mooney. Mm. And not in a bad way. Mm. It was because within the first 30 seconds, because mm. uh, we've only ever interacted on Twitter. Uh, right. So within the first 30 seconds of us being face-to-face on camera, it felt like I was chit-chatting with a girlfriend that I've known ever since yeah. high school. And yeah. I had such a hard time keeping myself on track because I could have <laughs> easily just slipped into yeah. a conversation with her just about shit, nothing yes. related to any, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and just because, because literally within the first 30 seconds, like I've, I've known Thorne, we went to high school together. I've known yeah, Thorne for the yeah. past 25 years. Yeah. I, I just want to chit chat with, this friend of mine yeah so that was hard to keep on to keep on track mm-hmm. um but yeah they all yeah it's it's been it's fantastic it's just fantastic to chat with people and get to know people and get to know their stories and the majority of the people that i uh interview when i hit you know stop recording and then, you know, we chat for a few minutes afterwards, after the recording's done, they're like, I've, you've, you got me to say things I've never said in public. You're so easy to talk to, yep. or you, you create such a comfortable, safe space. And I just opened up and I've never said this to anyone before. I've never yep. said this in public. I've never said this on a podcast. Um, so it's good. So I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm doing, you know, the right thing I'm, i think absolutely I'm thing and i'm yeah. guessing people are enjoying the podcast because absolutely. people keep listening to it so you know well, and, with you like know four hours like, per episode some of them right i mean what's that? Know, that well i mean like three hours four hours per episode that amount of time just sitting and chit-chatting you know you see that humanity but it, it, it you know with some people it does take a, a bit of a process to kind of build that rapport yeah know? Yeah, which you know uh, is fine because the evolution of that conversation is just as fascinating. Yes, you know um, because it can be a very you know like you don't know the person, and you know the questions and the answers are very. I'm just gonna say professional, you know, polished and, and clean. But then, you know, you get comfortable and you get relaxed and the personality, like the real personality Ooh, starts coming through. Yeah. So if that process takes a while, mm-hmm. that's even fine because that's fascinating to watch that uh, progression, you know? And I mean, even if no one listened to the podcast, I would <laughs> do this just because it's just fun chatting with people oh it's wonderful yeah like this is the reason one of the reasons why I started my podcast was I was looking to connect and 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 also network 
Yeah. And so I've been able to network with people who uh, not only have opened opportunities and doors for me, but also um, while serving that need to, you know, put myself out there as well, right? Yeah. And I feel like people, and it's always funny when, when you ask people who are not used to being interviewed, um, their reaction to it versus those people who are, who are very seasoned, like interviewees, you know, you can tell. Yeah. Um, and then, then it's uh, kind of finding the identity of your podcast, right? So like with me, my signature question is always, and what did you learn about yourself? And when I ask that, even though I've told people before, you know, it always trumps them because people aren't used to thinking of that way, you know? Exactly. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell the listeners, um, uh, where they can find you like like your social media your websites your podcast yeah, absolutely all of that I, it, it, this is all going to be in the show notes folks Perfect. just go ahead and uh absolutely so everything is on my hub uh paduka wellness p-a-d-u-k-a wellness.com um that's where my you can find about my work you can find my blog you can find my podcast um you can find all my uh, various classes and things like i put out um so that is uh, really central of all my social media stuff i'm really bad with social media though um you know like my instagram hasn't had a post on it for a few few months so mm-hmm. but, um, but check out my youtube page again it's all on there um you can find my interviews on there too so so you're okay so yeah mm-hmm. you're bad at social media but you do have social media. like you have an instagram um well i say that i mean i i'm i'm much more um you can find a lot more content on facebook um my website kind of encapsulates it all so like facebook i'm very active on on my on my business page you can find that through my main website my main website it has everything on it okay. youtube i post a lot too um uh, instagram not so much um TikTok, people can get uh, your youtube from your website everything is found on the website so okay. you can, all the links are on the website okay perfect so that i'll i'll just put the the paducah wellness link there and then people can go on there because that's what i do like i have my link page mm-hmm. um uh com slash links and it can take people to my social media mm-hmm. to uh like my like my Lay Locans all in social media, the yeah. LP, the the Lux Files social media, the YouTube mm-hmm. channel, the online shop and all of that. It's just convenient, you know, oh, yeah, for, totally. Yeah. For um yeah. for uh for people, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It gets really confusing when you have like social media all over the place. Yeah. And they're not integrated and they're not, you know, it, it just gets confusing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I guess that's it. I mean, we've been at it now since 7 p.m. and it's almost 11. So yeah, that's pretty good going. <laughs> yeah, we definitely created uh, good content. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Yo, it was so great. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was fun to do this um, sort of cross promotion uh, uh, thing with you. So, uh, and again, just to remind the listeners that um, uh, we did previous to this interview, Mm -hmm. we did an interview um, for um, uh, Ben's podcast, which is going to, drop 
or dropped before mm-hmm. this one. Exactly. Yeah, um, a couple of days before. So. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, like, um, they can get to that episode through the Paducah Wellness uh, link that's in the show notes. And so if you listen to that one first and then this one, great. If you haven't listened to that one, uh, when you finish with this one, go over and listen to that one because that one's all about me and you want to hear all about me. So, yeah, yeah. So I'll say goodnight to the listeners and um, I will s- talk to you yeah. again on awesome. episode 26. <laughs> say goodbye, Ben. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lux Files. You'll find all the guest links in the show notes, as well as the link www.laylokanzawin.com slash links. That link will get you to my page of links, where you can then go to my Laylokanzawin website, the Lux Files page, and my Laylokanzawin YouTube channel that has all the Lux Files videos. It also has all my social media links there, so you can follow me and the Lux Files. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving me a review. Until next time.